0: Enterprise Influencers. Perspectives from technology leaders. Welcome to Enterprise Influencers. We talk to industry leaders and get their perspectives on what's going on. Patrick, why don't you tell us who we've got today?
1: Yeah, hey, Giles, and thanks everybody for listening. Today we have, we're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and that is user experience. As a developer back in the day, you know, it wasn't always near and dear to my heart, but we have a guest on the show today, Tor Gunderson, uh, strategic development manager at Adobe. And uh, Tor and I have actually, we have a bit of history. We've worked together at a company that we share some common history with and uh, Tor actually is one of the people who introduced me to user experience and creative design and how that can really take our, our technology, our projects to the next level. So really excited to have Tor on the show. Now, Tor, I can see from your background, I don't want to call it out, but there is an elephant in the room, right? So you've got a little stuff there. And so if you're listening on Spotify or whatever, you might have to check out the video. But Tor's a big comic book guy, Star Wars, various things. Instead of just asking you to tell us about your background, Tor, like I figure let's actually go into the origin story of Tor Anderson. <laughs>
2: Oh, thank you, Patrick. for that. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. But yeah, I am a big comic book nerd. I love I, I collect comic books. I've been collecting comic books since as long as I can remember a volume at the newsstand and then just hoarding and hoarding them ever since. I've got about, I think, close to 80,000 now. It's crazy. Like this room. So if you can see this room, I've got lots of toys too. I'm a toy collector, mostly Star Wars toys, because that's a lot of what I grew up as a kid. And they display a lot nicer than the comic books, so I, I usually have these kind of positioned nicely. But yeah, they, I continue to buy I, I, them today. We, and
1: we could edit those figures out
0: if your wife's going to see this.
2: <laughs> oh, it's, it's hard to hide, so I know she knows.
0: <laughs> if if but, it's anything like me and my family, my wife also accepts my nerdism around retro games, but it's limited to a couple of rooms, and one is my office, and this is where the experiments happen as you can see behind me and then there's where it is set up and it has to be family friendly and that's it gotcha awesome Tell us a little bit one so (laughs) it's It's only because she's playing video games too that's what it is so it's only the things that she's prepared to play that's allowed Ah, out in public and then the rest Has to be hidden away. I
2: I will say, nerd them is much more readily accepted today. It is be something I would tuck away, and now this is my background, and I go on customer calls and just go out
1: there.
0: Just go out there with it. Yeah, there's no issues. No, so I, I find that when I speak to my kids, like parents and stuff, suddenly I've now become cool. And I don't really understand how because I've never been cool in my past. And, but when i on conferences with Microsoft and other stuff like that, and then they've got like arcade machines in their background, I'm like, yeah, that's
2: awesome. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on arcade games. I would love one of
1: those. As long as long As far as this is not a comic book podcast, tell us a little bit about how you got into UX and creative design and give us a little bit of insight into what you're actually doing at Adobe.
2: Sure. So I'll start back at the beginning of my career. I've been around long enough. I started in print design. I was a graphic designer. That's my degree. Graphic design and illustration. Came out of college in the early mid nineties, was doing print design, brand design. And then this thing called the internet came about around 95, 96, started gaining popularity. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And I love, I love print design, but it was always static. Right. And you print it and like it's there, and then people forget about it and you need to do something else. But with web design, I could create stuff. It was almost one, it was almost instant gratification because I could, I was learning how to do HTML and some CSS, very rudimentary, and, and you could just see it in real time. But you could make things interactive, you can make things move, you can add animations, and you could create things that people use. Like I, Like that concept of, yeah, I could design a brochure when someone reads it or whatever. But then I don't know, it was more interesting to me to have to be able to create something that people would use and get enjoyment out of. So I quickly latched on to that, get it, getting into web design. Like I mentioned, some HTML and CSS. And it was those were the days when there was like no standards. There were no UX standards. We didn't even know, like user experience wasn't like a concept that we threw around. And everyone was- You
1: get what you get. It's just like whatever it is.
2: I remember having to talk to clients and convince them that they should have a way. It's funny to think about that now, but you had to convince people that it was something they should invest in. Right. Why do we need that? Is it a fad? Is it going to go away?
1: At at one point, kids, it wasn't a given that the internet was going to be there
0: forever. And all phones had wires.
2: Yes. I, that is, I always call it, though, it was the Wild West. And that was, yeah. it was so much fun because there was just this groundswell of these people that started getting into this kind of work. And none of us really knew what we were doing. So we were just trying all kinds of stuff to see what would stick. And we had some some standards would emerge, some patterns and kind of UX things. Uh, would come about where oh we look at everyone's all the other websites and they started publishing books on this stuff oh that's a great idea i should try doing that started to get some best some i'll I'll put them in quotes or air quotes best practices because some of the things we were doing from a usability standpoint were not good but there were so many people that were creating sites and experiences that use those same patterns that people were familiar with them. We just started, we kept using them. But yeah, it was the wild west. It was super fun. And obviously it's matured greatly since then. But I remember it seemed like we're all discovering things at the same time. I remember being, having conversation with my team members and you know what? We design all this stuff and then we have to make changes for one reason or another. And it's really hard to make a change to the design. What if we did something that was just boxes and text and stuff like that, that were just really easy to change? And we could iron out this interaction or this flow or this journey before we went to design. And of course, those ended up being wireframes. And that was one of those UX things that sort of came about. And then we started... Heaven forbid, started measuring the website's performance and and uh, how successful they were, which is always tough to measure anyway. But, and so now we, we had got this concept of maybe we should look at who we're designing these for and maybe we should do some like usability to understand bo- borrowing from a product usability. They used to do that all the time. You know, how you interact with, I don't know, a toaster or a car and, you know, how you use it. We could do the same thing with, Websites and so user research came about, and all these things, so on and so on.
1: Yeah, it's actually amazing how much of the things that we think about in the web world, like, actually came from the physical world. Like, you know, you mentioned print design, for instance, mm-hmm. and I've had intense, heated conversations about with clients about the fold of the website. Uh. <laughs> and it's, it's guys, people scroll, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Not everything can be up here. Like sometimes things have to go down here. Right. But that's all part of the, that prioritization that user experience and like the infor- organization of information architecture. So oh, all right. these comes to, things come, but like you're describing a lot of things, right? Like how easy is this button to press? Usability right. testing. You might do that on the toaster, but you might also do You're going to do that in the web as well. So I think that's a really interesting concept that like a lot of this stuff, like kind of maybe started in the physical world, but like, then it's migrated now to the virtual world, if
2: you yeah. will. Here's a great example, Patrick, because I'm glad you brought that up. What is the save icon that we use in every application? Well,
1: isn't that a 3d printed floppy disk? that's yes, what that is. Right. A little floppy <laughs> disk,
2: Right. People today don't know what a floppy it's floppy disk is, exactly. is yeah. but we still use that. We still use folders, even though you know how many of us are using physical folders nowadays. Yeah. So
0: it's just interesting. It's,
1: it's in the lexicon of our brain. It's imprinted <laughs> you mean, you in us argue now. I it's
0: imprinted in a certain generation, though, right? Because part of the DNA. New yeah, generation, yeah. like what's a disk? What's
1: that's a... just the save yeah. button. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: You're like,
2: yeah. oh, I get that. It's, it's that's for save. I don't know what it is. But that's safe.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So Um, I have, I have a little story to tell, and I think this will like maybe lead us into some of our conversation. So I mentioned Tor and I worked together at one point and we worked together for quite a while actually, and the company we worked for was a consulting company and we built site websites and applications for people and and I've. We've recounted some of our history with SharePoint on the podcast here. So I'm not going to get into that, but in the early days, as we were working on SharePoint sites, like SharePoint back in the day, and someone maybe even argues still today, wasn't always the best looking thing, right? So it it was a bit ugly. And we were doing stupid things like building really high design intranets and public websites on SharePoint. And so Tor would ask me to do really hard things like, hey, Patrick, can this thing have rounded corners? (laughs) Because it'll make the design look that much better. And I would explain to her that, yeah, we can make it have rounded corners, but that's really hard because it was hard back then. It's not so hard these days. But I think, what, and that was my first sort of introduction into this mindset and working with creative people, right? And it's so for me as a developer at the time, it was like, this makes no difference to the functionality. This makes no difference to what this thing does. But for the creative person, it, it's like, this is the, this is the hill I'm going to die on. So <laughs> the <vision. laughs> it's the, vision. That's what it's it's the, the vision. vision of the product. It's the, yeah. it's how the client perceives it. So I've always been fascinated by like how there's these sort of two minds of developers think one way creatives think a different way. And sometimes there's a bit of a mix in there, but a lot of times there is a bit of divide. And I'm just curious, like from your point of view, there's obviously like some conflict there, but there's also an ability to come together and work things out. And I I don't know, just maybe I'd love your perspective on that kind of different way of thinking, because like my brain doesn't work that way,
2: but yours does. (laughs) Yeah. And that design and The design-developer relationship over the years um, can really be a headbutting exercise a lot of times because we're both very obstinate and want what we want. I get it. We're always, as designers, we're always trying to push the limit of design. We're always trying to create something new, something fresh. And of course, as a developer, you've got a budget, you've got a timeline. Are these creative enhancements really necessary? Like I get, I totally get all that. And yeah, we used to make compromises all the time. the round. I'd forgotten about the rounded corners
0: conversation. Yeah, I'll remember to, like, that
1: forever. I, oh, I'll, yeah. like I'll never forget that.
0: Well, I think we didn't every have... SharePoint developer has had that conversation. I've <laughs> got whole projects where I want all of these web parts to have rounded corners. Go. yeah, it's like, that was a, that was a trend at the time, and we
2: still see them today. But you had to cut up, cut out all the little graphics. You had to cut the corner graphics. You couldn't just put a CSS class on it and call it a day. Mm-hmm. You just didn't have that then. But a lot of it was you're trying to create your as a designer, like building this experience, you're creating an experience. Now, one, it's got the needs of the brand that you're creating it for, whether it's your own or the time we were working with clients. So it's got to look like their brand. It's got to support their brand and not look entirely different from the other channels that they're in, whether it's traditional in the real world or, or digital. So a lot of those things came from like, This is what the brand is. I've got to reproduce some of that. But also trying to create enjoyable experiences. From a usability standpoint, we have to make sure that when someone's using it, and this is at the time, again, was websites. We haven't even got into real product design yet and applications and web apps and all that, but there are certain things you wanted for users to be able to uh, get. I need to click over here. I need to look over here. So there's definitely design things we would do to help focus the user and help them Help guide them through that experience so that whatever they're doing, we can convert them, or whatever task they're, doing. we can help them complete their task. I guess I should. You,
1: you did convert me to an aficionado of user experience and creative design. Ah. I do. I do have you to thank for that.
2: Oh, yeah <laughs> That makes you feel good.
0: <laughs> <Enough>. Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the unprofessional part of the podcast so okay oh, that's all, all right so we've touched on the rounded corners and certainly i've done that uh, myself and i could have a favored designer that i speak to on a regular basis that remembers those similar stories as well i've also taken them away again after i've implemented them and evolved and things like that so you touched on a little bit about how it's important so the design comes from for like for a website or something like that comes from an existing brand, right? You're trying to keep it in keeping. Tell me a bit more about the translation of those brands and concepts into a functional design, how you keep it clean and professional at the same time. Can you tell us a little bit, some stories around maybe how you've kind of translated, but at the same time, maybe push the design forward?
2: Oh, let me see. Well, back then, companies have digital standards. Right.
0: So it's a little bit easier
2: to implement a brand in a digital space, whether it's and it could when I say that it could be anything from a website, like I said, to a line of business application. It could be a mobile app. It could be obviously social media. It could even be a an in-car infotainment system, right? Where that's like a kiosk in the car that they're using. But back then we didn't have we didn't have guidelines as to what's I get your have your brand Standards guideline, which is usually a, a book or PDF or something, is here's your colors, here's your logo. And well, general- I was joking,
1: every client wants, oh, just make it clean and professional. That's what we want, <laughs>
2: yes, but, yeah, exactly. And that's clean and professional, tells me nothing,
1: exactly. Right?
2: So yeah. just, I get that. That I looked at that as table stakes, right? Now, it's,
1: I was yeah, going to create you the messy and unprofessional <laughs> version of your site. So, yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, and it's true. Like I used to get that all the time we'd have, when we'd engage in a new project, we would have a meeting with a customer and we talk through their creative guidelines and what they wanted to achieve with whatever we were doing and like building a website and cleaning professional would always come up like, yeah, I got that. I already wrote that one down. But then it's like, how do you go farther? Like, how do you dig into that a little bit more and what levers can you pull? Like I said, there weren't digital standards then I don't know. What does a button look like in your world? Yeah. There there wasn't a guideline for that. But if we look for those levers like is it is it rounding corners creates maybe a friendlier experience versus sharp corners. Sharp corners is that more I don't know, B2B insurance or something like that and rounded corners is I don't know, a, more of a consumer type of experience. This is the more
1: aggressive form versus the friendly form. Does this form make me want to fill it out?
2: Exactly. I
1: Um, feel
0: good about doing this. I feel
2: good. Is it warm? Is it cold? Is it? There's a lot of things you can, obviously you can do with color. Even within someone's own color standards. And sometimes we'd introduce new colors in order to convey the type of feelings that they wanted to get out of the site. I looked at it as what is this? What should the site emote? What is the feeling that I get when I'm looking at it, when I'm using it? At first, it was all visuals, right? And now we've developed experiences that are so interactive. It's not just the visuals. But it's how it works. Think about mm. animation and the yeah. role of animation. And, and that is another thing that you try to keep consistent from one interaction to the next on in the same experience. But yeah, it was all about like, how can you find those little differentiators to create something for a client that was unique? A look and feel. So we call that the look and feel. So it's separate from UX, from user experience. The look and feel is more about the visuals and I guess how you interact with it.
1: You're talking a little bit there about like the, you know, what'd you call it? The digital guidelines or? The no. brand
2: guidelines. Yeah.
1: yeah, not just brand guidelines, but so today, like, these topics have evolved, right? So we used yep. to, like you said, we used to get a brand guideline and then it was a piece of paper or PDF or something. Yep. And we would go through and say, okay, here's your hex values and the colors and this is the logo and this is how you should use it and this is how you shouldn't use it. And you had all this sort of stuff, right? But now, like we have full design systems, right? And oh, some yeah. of them are very popular, like, you, like Google publishes there, the material design material, system yeah. where Microsoft has... Fabric and there's, and there's hundreds and hundreds of them out there. And I imagine that plays a part into what you do with the organizations you're working with, right? So maybe you're helping them to adapt to a design system or, or even create a new design system, but that goes from everything right from your initial ideation and your wireframes, and then you're even like doing like interaction design and ultimately creative and ultimately execution on that kind of stuff. I don't know, maybe, can you talk a little bit about like how this is designed or evolved over the years? Because, yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty, it, it's gotten very collaborative and like high tech in my yes. opinion.
2: very ma- It's gotten very mature yeah so you opened that it's door, a loaded question it's a whole yes <laughs> it's it's funny i'm actually writing a white paper on this very topic so i will say i didn't mention it you mentioned my intro but i didn't get a chance to say that i work for adobe now i've been at adobe for about three and a half years i stepped aside from the design world and now i work with customers that my primary focus was uh, is xd one of our products what else to support other products like photoshop and illustrator And I work with customers directly to help them get the most of what they paid for. And one of the advantages that myself and a lot of people on my team have is that we, at one point or another, were practitioners. So we were designers. We understand that designer mindset, as you mentioned. We understand the process and the workflow and how teams are structured generally. And so we can give a lot of guidance, not only to help them use our products better, but how they fit together, how they might fit in with other products, how to create better workflows and efficiencies and design systems is very high on that list. And it's interesting because we did start with, we started with brand guidelines, right? So it was, so you develop a brand and you have a brand book. You have, as you mentioned, Patrick, you have, here are our fonts, here are our colors. Now we didn't have hex colors yet. they were Pantone colors, <laughs> RGB, all that CMYK, all that stuff. And If you were uh, really fancy,
1: brands. your brand guideline was actually a website, <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah.
1: but then you were super fancy.
2: Yeah. Now we're fast forwarding. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of do's and don'ts. Here's what they do with the logo. Do's and don'ts of that. You might have templates and examples of this is what our letterhead looks like and what our business cards look like. It was those kinds of things. Yeah. Photography guidelines. This is the type of photography, the feel of it. So if you go shoot new photography or look for stock, like this is what fits into the brand. And then, so that was mostly print design right and then we move into web design years later and again it, we were getting mature enough that we started talking about best practices right and then we started thinking about it was really like Brad Frost who published his treatise on like a design systems essentially like breaking down websites into parts that you can assemble and those became components so he looked at it Atomically, right? So it was, let's see if I can remember them all. Atoms, molecules, organisms, and pages. So atoms are like the smallest elements, whether it's a text field or an input field or a button. Then you get into molecules that are, I take a form field and a button and I make that a component and it's an entry forms. Then you move into organisms that are like atoms and molecules built together, put together to create more complex things. And then you get into templates and then pages are, basically templates with con- the content in them, right? So that was the structure. And and so people started adopting that, and that's where like design systems really came from. And they've gotten very sophisticated now. They were pretty simple at first. So buttons, form elements, text, here my, you even put in, here are my colors, here are my textiles, when you're doing it for a certain brand, logos and things like that. But again, they were static at the time. You basically document that, document them, you may print them in the book. Yes, you may build a website so that they're referenceable. You maybe even put in code snippets for like, here's a button and then you have the code snippet. So developer can copy and paste that into a layout, but they've gotten, they've gotten a lot more sophisticated. We start adding more stuff in there. You animation guidelines and all these other things and then patterns and Usage guidelines and how should this inter how this interactive should happen, or what is the flow of this of a login, for example? What is that flow? And so you use that the same way on every in every experience. These are very handy because, especially when you're designing not just one digital experience like a website, but then you move to an app or you move to an application, a web application, a web-based application, you can start using the same elements across, and so it created a lot of efficiencies. didn't have to recreate the wheel every time developers already had the code done and so you could just keep leveraging that but again at the time a lot of that was pretty static and now we've in the last i don't know how many years we've gotten into this i can actually publish these components as libraries that i can share and then you can use them directly inside other applications so i don't even have to i don't even have to if i'm in a design program i can instead of drawing that button out every time, I now can just pull it into my design from a shared library. So that collaboration interconnectedness of using design systems has gotten so much greater.
1: Yeah, so it makes your designers can move faster, your developers can move faster. Like we're, I like how you term that like a design language, right? Because it really is. Now you have these systems in place, like your designers and your developers are now Speaking the same language. So you go back to our example earlier, like we were talking completely different language. Like you're, you're talking rounded corners and I'm saying, dude, it doesn't matter. Like it's (laughs) going to function the same way, but now like there's not really an argument over it, right? That's a button's a button and we've determined how the button looks. We've determined what the form elements look like. This is our common language. I think there's, there's something that's beautiful about that. Like it's, it's. This merging of these two worlds, the technical and the artistic, that you know, yes. waxing philosophical, but it's
2: pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great point. And it's something that you can collaborate and work on together. So there's shared ownership. It's not just a designer designs a bunch of stuff and hands it off to the developer. Now that through that design system, those responsibilities are shared. And print designers are getting into the game too. And yes, they've been they've broken out of creating just these static brand books and they're making websites and and things like that out of them. But, you know, now you can see design systems and brand guidelines coming together and intersecting. And so now you have these brand systems that can incorporate not just all of your, your brand guidelines, like your logos, colors, fonts, et cetera, but also all the digital guidelines all in kind of one place. And then you add in a shareable... Libraries of things like photography and images that are approved and icons that you can reuse. So yeah, it become it can be really comprehensive, and those kinds of systems are bringing lots of teams together, because you can even share them with stakeholder and other marketers to use in PowerPoint presentations and across other applications that they're commonly using to create other kinds of deliverables.
0: Very cool. So we've, we've talked a lot about the importance of user experience and you've touched upon things just before we were recording, but also throughout the, it's been sprinkled throughout the conversation about Mm -hmm. the roles around user experience. You talked about that UI is very different from UX as well, when we were talking earlier, and because of this kind of merging of, you know, the technical, the design piece as well, that there's now a whole industry of different types of user roles and things like that as well. Could you talk to us a little bit about the kind of roles that you need and to create a great team to be able to push all these designs and things forward?
2: Yeah, this one's always tricky because a lot of it depends on there's maybe an ideal scenario or maybe there's a handful of ideal scenarios. But a lot of it depends on how much your company is investing into a UX team like that but you can have obviously designers because you know that's where I come from all the early web designers came from print and that was a kind of learning experience but now obviously we have lots of uh, people graduating from college with these digital designer or UX designer uh, degrees I don't even know what they all are now
0: I imagine so, their y- viewpoints are actually quite different now compared to yeah because they print media they read magazines anymore and who does all this kind of stuff it's just Oh, well, you know, that, right? I'm a comic yeah. collector.
2: I still love the printed well, media. And <laughs> I like the print media too,
0: but I'm of a certain age. Yeah.
2: So. But yeah. So you obviously, you need the design and brand kind of part of that. You need, re, ideally, you, you want researchers, right? So they're the mm. ones that are going to be doing your user research. So, how do I'm designing this experience? You need to know who you're designing it for, what your audience is. There might be certain considerations along the, that are tied to the type of people you're designing this for. Also, accessibility is huge. Accessibility, I'll say it again, accessibility is huge. And if some people have accessibility, people on staff, or sometimes that's shared with that maybe that that job is a UX architect or designer, I'll get to that in a minute. It could be a researcher function. I think honestly, it's probably a shared in a lot of ways a shared function because There's a lot of accessibility considerations in the visuals as well. So accessibility, of course, Patrick, when you and I were working together, we called them UX architects. They were so many different names for these roles that they were more in the kind of interaction design they were doing. Sometimes they were doing the research, sometimes they're doing the journey mapping, most notably doing wireframes, and they might even be doing the usability testing on those wireframes or on the rendered designs. Um, and then of course you have, developers, now you have front end developers and back end developers, the front end doing all the CSS and HTML and all that stuff in the back-end hooking up, oh, and JavaScript and all that, of course, and then the back-end integrating into the system or whatever platform you're building. So we're building on top of. So yeah, there's a lot of, they may not all be distinct roles. A lot of times there's the designer is doing the, the. UI designer is also doing the wireframes and stuff, It it all depends on, I think that's part of the,
1: yeah, I think that's part of what makes UX such an interesting field is because you do have, I feel like in some cases just hyper specialization. Like I do usability testing and user research and that's my specialty and that's where I want to stay. But then you also have folks that are more maybe like unicorns, right? And they say, they may be able to do that but then they can also do wireframes and creative design and and so the unicorns i think are rare but obviously but the there is this sort of hyper specialization around certain areas of ux sort of tends to in my opinion at least to create these more specialized roles and then and there's a lot of passion i think within those those individuals and that that do those roles around that particular thing, right? Yeah. You can't ignore user research and, or you ignore it at your peril. Peril. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah, it's true. Although at the same time, I think, I think, I don't know, this is going to be a bold statement. In my experience, the process of UX has brought collaboration, brought more into collaboration of design than I've seen anywhere else. Because it's really, yeah. it has to be a collaboration between all of those disciplines to truly make a high-class user experience. It can't be I, I, handed I off from one that. person to the next. And you know, this goes yeah. back to the, what we started with: design and developer collaboration. But it's now it's expanded beyond just that. I think the designer was, and developers are asked to do a lot of these other things. And now, to your point, like now we have very specialized roles because a lot of these disciplines have matured. But it's brought people together in this collaborative fashion that is not a handoff anymore.
1: Yeah. I also think it gets ingrained in in people's day-to-day roles. So I'm, I'm managing a product that I, for a large enterprise where I don't build that product, I, I deploy it. I work with users around it, but that user experience is something I greatly care about. And I started out in my career. Maybe it was more of the. Maybe I was the UX Grinch. I was like, Hey, yeah, you get what you get. Don't. And then over time, like my heart grew ten sizes, <laughs> right? Like now I truly care about what our users experience and what their what their journeys are using our product. And that's part and parcel to these these processes. So like I may not build that process that those processes or. I may not run those processes for the product that I manage, but those processes are absolutely being run by Microsoft and Adobe and Salesforce and all these large organizations that are delivering these products to us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just spend one set, just participate in one usability session and you'll create all the empathy you ever need for the end user.
1: (laughs) Let's just say that. Oh, that's why they hate yeah. it.
2: <laughs> that's why it's hard. What's why they're totally. not converting? I mean, UX is so important because it, it it increases it. Good UX increases adoption. It helps users be more successful in their tax, their tasks. It, it creates brand affinity. It creates helps with conversion, whatever the task is, or it could be a monetary thing, or just completing a task, filling out a form, or whatever it is. It's just it's so important, and companies are, are realizing this and really starting to invest in it. So you have your you have now have a chief experience officers.
1: Amazing, yeah. which is
2: a role that never existed
0: before. So, a whole topic well, I, that I think we could do a whole podcast on itself. I think <laughs> absolutely,
1: yeah. I know, I know, Tor, that some of us are on a tight timeline today. But to me, this has been a really interesting conversation. I. Like one, just one final question. I guess if there's an organization out there that's thinking about one thing in terms of their UX journey, so besides go out and buy XD and contact Tor to to help you guys run efficiently, right? What's the one thing that they should be thinking about to take their UX to the next level?
2: Boy, that's a... Wow. Putting you on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) That's not even a quick question. (laughs) I know, it's not. Does
1: it go hire a chief experience officer? Is it hire an outside agency? Are there?
2: I think, honestly, it's so much, I don't want to say it depends, but it depends, right? There's the consultant in you. I can't help it. It (laughs) depends on your maturity level. Yeah. And where you are. And we can talk another podcast on digital transformation, right? Yeah. But I think first, probably the most important thing is for everyone to be on the same page. And understand the importance of a user experience within their organization so they can plan around that around that. Yeah. And they have to understand that and know what value it brings. And so You they have can, to know
1: where you're trying to get to, right? right? Before before you can start a journey, you need to know where you're going. Right. Yeah. But Hey, might have done this a time or two. No, but it's actually pretty interesting because that co- sort of corresponds to like when we talked about employee experience, which is in my view, it's like UX is an OG of employee experience, right? I want to make sure my customers are having a good experience and oh, maybe we should care about our employees too, but it is same principle, right? Understand where you're going so that you can now plot out and plan and have a very intentional path to your user experience. Very cool. I know we're probably going to have to wrap it up here. You were warned, Tor, that we would ask you some sort of antidote or fun fact. And it can't be that you're a huge comic book nerd because that is immediately obvious. So, like, Tor Gunnarsson, what is your fun fact?
2: Um, I don't know if this counts, but I draw a lot. And maybe it's not a surprise that I draw a lot of superhero characters. So i like been studying anatomy for years and trying to get better and better. I don't know. Maybe it's something I'll do in retirement or it, semi-retirement. It is,
1: yeah, it is, it is difficult to get the... I can only assume, because I am a very poor artist, but I can only assume that it is very difficult to get things proportionally correct and look realistic, even <laughs> though it is a comic, obviously, but yeah, now. Uh, and that doesn't surprise me in the least. I guess you could
2: say fun fact, I always wanted to draw comics for a living. Maybe that's a better There you
1: story. go. Yeah, no. That
2: was my original dream. Though.
1: And instead you work for Adobe.
2: <laughs> that, that's not bad either. On the contrary. No, you no, could use to that. create
1: a digital comic.
2: There you go. You could do there that. There you go.
1: I'm sensing a side side hustle coming here. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs>
2: if all goes well. We'll see.
1: And if so, Tor, if our listeners want to get in touch with you or reach out, is there a way that you would like them to do that?
2: I'm on LinkedIn. I'm probably pretty easy to find. I've got some of my drawings and stuff. I haven't updated in a while on Instagram. I think that's my handle is tgunderson16. It has to be with an E-N, tgunderson, S-E-N. Those are probably the best channels, yeah, to reach me. Awesome.
1: Yep. thank you Tor this has been an awesome conversation I feel like we might need a follow-up to this maybe potentially because we we be happy really to. This only scratched the surface <laughs> if it weren't for these real jobs that we have I
2: know so, they pay for they they help pay for lots of things in life so it's okay.
1: yes That's like true. comic books and toys thank you Tor really appreciate your insights it's been really fun and I think with that
0: Giles takes out Sure. Yeah. So this topic is very dear to my heart. I also draw behind the scenes. I don't think Patrick have known about that. I do various yeah. other design pursuits. I love it. So I would love to continue speaking on this subject. It's awesome. So anyway, thank you everybody for listening. You can catch us on the usual podcast haunts, Google, iTunes, Spotify, and what have you. And we hope to see you again. So thank you everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. All right.